collection today, and really the timing of it, as tomorrow is the first day back to school, at least in Manatee County, for our teachers. And um, I'd say administrators, a lot of administrators are there all summer long, but I know our teachers are back tomorrow, and, um, and you can tell them because they're all crying a little today. Um, but, uh, and, and others that are back. And, and so we um, want to do, I want to do something this morning. Certainly, um, thank you for the donation. Like I said, we have them all around the building, and we'll continue to collect them both today and tomorrow to get to um, Blackburn Elementary. This is a wonderful gift because um, if you know teachers nowadays, if, if, you have, if you have family members that are teachers, you know how much teachers spend out of their own pocket to provide for their kids. This is a way we can help offset some of that. So thank you for that. It's also a way for us to bless, as we do in so many of our ministries, seek to bless um, the children of our community. But I also want to pray this morning for our teachers, for our teachers, administrators, support personnel, those of you that are getting ready to gear up for the next year, homeschool parents as well. You, you're included in this. So I want to ask uh, if you fit that category, teachers, administrators, support personnel, uh, homeschool parents, would you stand? Just let us see you to pray for you this morning. All right. They, they start back. And thank you. Thank you. These, I wanted you to see some of the faces that you worship with. To keep them, and not just for this week, but really throughout the year. Because it is a, a, a demanding career on, on all of these. And they give so much. So keep them in prayer throughout um, but certainly as, as the year begins, the school year begins for them um, tomorrow. So let's, uh, let's take a moment and let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we have an opportunity to make a difference. Uh, we have an opportunity to make a difference to our ability to, to contribute. And we pray for these um, supplies and really for the, for the children that will receive them for the teachers that will be encouraged by them, and, and for what we pray is just helping to be a part of that foundation of learning for, for kids in our community. And, and Lord, we pray for our teachers and, and leaders and administrators and those who have invested their lives in a, in a, in a holy calling, which is to shape and love and impact and be a part of the story of the lives of, of young people, children and, and youth. Bless them. Give them um, stamina when they're faced with the, the grind of the day-to-day. Uh, give them wisdom in the challenges that, that they face. Most importantly, just nurture what is already inherent in each of them, which is a, a compassion and a love for kids. And may that fuel that passion for for teaching and leading that you've called them to and, and for being a part in whatever way of, of the education process. We lift them up to you. We lift them up today and throughout this year that is to come and ask your blessing and strength in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, friends. Now, it is, it is always fun to share a little bit with you, as I'll do from time to time, the, uh, the process, the, the process of... of getting to this moment on, on a Sunday morning of, of, of preparation and of brainstorming for, for what, is, what is it that, that I think the Lord's called me to share. And, and the process of, of sermon writing 
is pulling a lot of strands. Pastor Dave will tell you this. My dad will tell you this. Uh, other pastors or, or leaders, you know, you pull a lot of strands. And uh, so about a week, a little over a week ago, I, I texted Tony and I said, Tony, um, send me the music that you all are doing today because John gets that out sometimes before I've figured out what I'm preaching on. And so sometimes I'll look at the music. And, um, and, and I did, and I saw that song, Red Letter, um, Red Letter Words, that we sang together. And I thought, okay, well, that just narrowed down the preaching subject for today, because if we're going to sing Red Letter Words, it only seems appropriate that I better preach on some Red Letter Words this morning. And if you're not familiar with what that means, and that's okay, that's just, those are the words that Jesus speaks. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the red letter words. If you have a red letter Bible, that's, that's the words of Jesus. And so as I started thinking and praying and, and reading some of the text for the day, it, it took me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter Now, if you're looking at the screen behind me or you've looked at your bulletin, you're like, well, wait a minute, aren't you preaching on Matthew chapter 7? And yes, I am. But strands, strands. And I started reading... Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, there's a story that's called the story of the, um, the rich fool, is often how it's described. And in this parable that Jesus tells, uh, there is, it's the story, it's a very brief story, it's a very simple story of a man who has a very good year. He's clearly a man of means, a, clan, a man of wealth, and, and he has a, a bumper crop, if you will, an abundance of, of blessing. And in response to this, um, this wonderful harvest, he decides to build bigger barns so that he will have plenty for today and for tomorrow. And, and the, the verse that is so interesting says, I will build bigger barns so that I can take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's, that's exactly where that phrase comes from. It's right there in the gospel. Eat, drink, and be merry. And, and I read that, and I, if you stop right there, and, and you, you don't know how the story goes. And I said, how many of you would kind of like that to be the description of your life? Eat, drink, and be merry. I, I can't be the only one that goes, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'm, I'm good with that. Eat, drink, and be merry sounds like a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a way of saying being comfortable. You know, having the best of, the best of everything. And so if you, if, you, if you allow yourself to suspend the story for a moment, you get caught up in thinking, I like that idea. Until you read the next verse in which Jesus says that that very night God demanded of this man his life. And he says, you fool. You fool. And Jesus is, is teaching a story to warn against greed. To warn against the self-centeredness that, that often um, encompasses and plagues us. To warn against a, a selfishness of, of being greedy and, and robbing, if you will, from God and, and what God has called us to. But, it, but it's that, that phrase, you fool. You fool. And that's what became the bridge for me to, to, Luke, I mean, to Matthew chapter 7. Because I started to think, okay, what was his mistake? What was his, what was his sin? What was the reason for God? God's judgment here, because by many of our measures, he'd built a pretty successful life, but not by the gospel, not according to Jesus. So if, if this is not the goal, if this is not how we measure success, what, what is, what's the key? What's the key? And, and that leads to another parable Jesus tells. 
And this is one that, again, for many of you is familiar. But the, but the word fool is what, what drew me to this because this is the parable of the wise builder and the foolish builder. The word fool and foolish doesn't appear that frequently in the Gospels at all. But this is two of the places, and that's the bridge, that, that, that kind of the strand, if you will, that got me here to this morning's Gospel reading, this morning's red-letter words, which is Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. This is what we read. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, we would pray for wisdom. We pray that in these moments of, of hearing your word, of, of, of reflection, in these moments that, that I speak these words that I pray are, are prayer pleasing and inspired of your Holy Spirit, that you would work in our lives to create in us lives that reflect the wise builder. And that we would be strengthened in our faith and in our faithfulness. This is my prayer. I pray this is our prayer in Christ Jesus. Amen. Irma Bombeck wrote of her high school graduation. Many of you are familiar with Irma Bombeck, the humorist and, and author. And she, she wrote of her high school graduation. She said that it was a small graduating class. And she said, I don't even remember the name of the person who spoke the graduation speech. But I remember him saying, the future is in your hands. In your hands is, is the cure for illness. In your hands is the leadership of the country. In your hands rests the investment of those who have gone before you. You must find success. And she writes, as only she can that she sat there and the more she listened to this speech, the more depressed she got. Because she looked at her graduating class and thought, if the future is in our hands, we're in big trouble. And she began to describe some of her classmates and she talked about like the one who, she's like, I had a classmate who couldn't even find his own parents after they parked the car. You know, and yet the future, and, and I think probably all of us can relate. I sort of think about that. I mean, I can remember thinking, you know, graduating, and, and there were some colorful characters in all of our graduating classes. And this idea that, that she remembered thinking the future is in our hands. And so she said, we graduated, and we burst out of that auditorium, and we began to search for success. And she said, as the years would go by, and the reunions would come, they would get together, and and they had started careers and, and were raising children. But, but it never seemed to be that any of them found the key to success. That, that no matter what they'd achieved, no matter what they'd done, no matter how their lives had progressed, they'd never had enough. They were never thin enough. They were never successful enough. Their family wasn't um, solid enough. Whatever it is, they had never quite found 
success. And she goes on to say that I've spent a lifetime trying to figure out who has success. Trying to figure out what success looks like. What's the difference between a life that is wasted and a life that is wise? And that brings me back to this parable that Jesus teaches. Because he gives us, through faith, an idea of what our pursuit of success should look like. See, too often we get distracted in the wrong pursuits. We get, we get moving in the wrong directions. We look in the wrong places. For instance, a lot of us fall into the trap, which is a cultural trap, of thinking that successful life is defined by longevity. So culturally, and we share this with every people that have come before us, we seek longevity. We want to live long lives. We want to fight the, 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 the inevitability of time, of aging. So we have products and we have uh, machines and we have surgeries and we have all these things that help us either deny the reality of, of, of our years or to try to, to extend them. Somehow to try to find a way to, to, to deny the inevitable. And, and we're not new. Ponce de Leon came to Florida in the 1500s. What was he searching for? Fountain of Youth, right? He's searching for the Fountain of Youth. And the search hasn't stopped since. Guy went to the doctor. And he was on his fifth visit. He was getting more and more exasperated with his doctor. And his doctor was getting exasperated with him. And he said, look, I don't know what you want me to do. He's like, I can't make you young again. And the man said, I don't want to be young again. I just want to keep getting older. I want to keep going. I don't want to face this, this reality that, that our years and are numbered. And so we somehow think that if we, can, if we can have longevity, that means success. We know that that's really not the case. The, the human lifespan has changed generation to generation. In fact, one of the saddest verses, I think, in all the Scripture is Genesis chapter 5, verse 27. Genesis chapter 5 is a, um, a chronological listing. of It's, it's, a, it's a, a generational listing of, of the men and the women who have come you know, between... Uh, in these early parts of the human story. And in Genesis 5, 27, we read about Methuselah. Methuselah is listed as the oldest man to ever live. It says that Methuselah lived 969 years. 969 years. And then the saddest words, then he died. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. And this is why I find that so sad. In 969 years, the writer of the Scripture couldn't think of one other thing to say about him. 969 years, and the only thing we know is that he died. If longevity is the measure of impact, if longevity is the measure of, of success, then we should know a whole lot about Methuselah. But we know that some people have more of an impact in 25 years than some people have in 75 years. In fact, our lifespans change. In the Middle Ages, it was as short as it ever was. 35 years was the average lifespan of a man or woman. 
In the 1880s, that was 40. A hundred years ago, it was 53. Today, that's 78 years. I had somebody after the first service said, thank you for telling me my time is up. I said, no, that's not what I meant. Not what I meant. But the point is, that changes. But in every generation of human history, there have been men and women who have had tremendous success, and sometimes in a very few years. Mozart died in his 30s. Shelley died in his 30s. John the Baptist died in his 30s. Jesus died in his 30s. Yet all were men and individuals of great impact. So, so length, you know, it's, it's not the duration. As Peter Marshall said, it's not the duration of your life, it's the donation. So we know that, that that's not a measure of, of impact. And so in lieu of that, we'll seek height. Not, maybe not length, but height. Let's achieve. Let's be successful. Let's, let's climb the ladder, if you will. Nothing inherently wrong with that until it becomes the foundation of our self-worth, until it becomes the foundation of the, of the structure of our lives, then it becomes a very, very uncertain and unsteady structure in which we've built because we attribute success, we attribute impact by what we have achieved. And the problem is when that is the barometer, um, it's never enough. It's never enough. There's a line from the movie a few years ago. It's a sequel, if some of you remember the movie Wall Street in the 1980s with Michael Douglas. A few years ago, they did a, a sequel to that. Michael Douglas was again in it and some new characters. And in one of the scenes, uh, two of the principal actors, characters of, of the story are having this conversation. And as they're leaving this, this private room, um, the, the one guy says to the other, he's like, what's your number? And the, the, he's speaking to a, to a very successful, wealthy man. He says, what's your number? I said, well, you know, kind of, what do you mean? He says, your number. Your number, when, when you can retire, we can, you, we can, when you can relax, when you can live comfortably, when you can walk away from the, the grind of the day-to-day -day experience. What, what's your number? The guy got a, kind of a wry smile on his face. And he said, that's easy more more because when that's the measure of who you are when that's the, the the measure of your value of your worth of your significance it's never enough you always want more i don't know how many of you are familiar with the name or have ever even heard the name adolf merkel i hadn't adolf merkel in 2007 was the wealthiest man in germany he was in the top 100 of wealthiest people on the earth. Billions of dollars. In 2008, he decided he'd made his money in pharmaceuticals and other business ventures. He decided to, to play the market, and he decided to short Volkswagen stock, if you're familiar with how that works. He was basically betting, as, as the stock market is, that the, the stock would go down. So he shorted the market. After he'd made his investment, Porsche bought Volkswagen, and Volkswagen stock went up. He lost in one day $750 million. On top of that, it was 2008. And those of you that remember the markets in 2008, the economy was on a nosedive. He had some debts he needed to pay off and didn't know that he was going to be able to get the loans he needed. In the course of a short amount of time, 
Adolf Merkel lost $3 billion. In lieu of that, he wrote a letter, and in his letter he basically said, I've lost everything, and the next thing he did was step in front of a moving train. Now here's the tragedy of his life, and there's a lot of tragedy. He was still a wealthy man. Most of us can't wrap our minds, I can't wrap my mind around losing that much money. But he wasn't destitute and he wasn't poor. He still had a lot of money. He still had no threat of, of being hungry or without shelter. He, had, he was still able to live in places most of us can't imagine and travel at will. He was still wealthy. But he wasn't the wealthiest. He wasn't at the top anymore. It wasn't enough. His value, his sense of worth was so attached to his position, to the height he had climbed, that when he was no longer at the pinnacle, in his mind, he'd lost everything. And what's so crazy about that, and I've heard this before when people have said, I've lost everything. And loss, even of material substance, that, that can be hard. I'm, I'm not diminishing that. But so often, in his, in his case, he hadn't lost his wife. He hadn't lost his family. He hadn't lost the friendship of those around him. Most often when we hear people say, I've lost everything, it means they've lost something. And that something is what they put their most value in. And that becomes a very uncertain and steady and dangerous foundation for which to build our lives. Solomon, great king of Israel who was wealthier than any king before or after him, who had wives and, and palaces. He starts Ecclesiastes with these words, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's meaningless. It's meaningless when that is the foundation which our lives have been built. So if length is the measure, if height is the measure, we're in trouble. But Jesus teaches us to look in a different direction, not up or out, but down. Jesus says, the strength of your life, the impact, the meaning, the success of your life is determined by the foundation on which it is built. The foolish man built on a foundation of sand. It washed away like length and height will do. The wise man builds on the rock. And of course, the rock is not just the granite in which a structure is built but the foundation of salvation in which a life is built, which is the rock of Christ. A wise man, a wise woman builds on the rock. Because when the roots are deep, when the foundation is strong, the structure survives the storms. It gets battered and bounced, but it survives. In fact, the deeper the roots, the stronger the structure. I, I had to take a plant out of the backyard of the parsonage. That we, had, we, were, we were putting in a deck. This was a while ago. And, and I had to take out a plant. It wasn't that big a plant. I thought, this is going to be no problem. And the deeper I got, the harder it got. Because this sucker had roots that went two miles deep. <laughs> sort of. Um, the roots were incredibly strong. It was forever difficult to get that out. In fact, Mike Egbert, uh, Egbert would probably be in the next service. He finally had to bring his truck. And we had to chain up the plant and use his truck to jerk it out of the ground. I mean, that's how deep and strong the roots were. The stronger the roots, 
the more steady the foundation. When you learn, and, and in fact, that's what you find. People that have the ability, may, hopefully you're that kind of person. I wish I was more this kind of person, but maybe you've known those people that no matter how rough life gets, they're, they're steady, they're calm, they, they, they progress with a, with a confidence even in the midst of, of the storms. That, those kind of people have deep roots. They have solid foundations because they're able to, the deeper you go, the calmer it feels. I, I learned this principle when I, when, I was a scuba, when I would do scuba diving years ago. I haven't done it in a while. But you could be on the surface of the water and it can be chopping. It can be, the storms can be coming, the, the seas can be raging, you're getting bounced all over the place. And that's miserable. Where's Bob? We were, out, we were out in the water a few, a few weeks ago, and that was one of those days where, I mean, we were getting bounced all over. But when you scuba dive, those of you that scuba dive know this, that the best place to be is in the water because the deeper you go, the calmer it gets. So you can sink, and no matter what's going on up here, when you can get deep, you can experience calm. And Jesus says to us that, that what I desire for you is to build your house on the rock. And what that means is to take these words of mine, and this, this teaching that Jesus gives happens, Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the last red letters in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is taught and taught and taught for three chapters. And, and what Jesus is saying is that the, the wise person is the one who takes these things that I've been teaching you, takes the example I'm giving you, and puts them into action. That the person who, who becomes rooted in my love, that's what Paul would say in, in Ephesians chapter 3, that you'd be rooted in love, that you would know that the height and the length and the depth of Christ's love rooted in Him. And he says the one who is wise is the one who takes these words and does them. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, the, the writer admonishes us. Do not just be hearers of the word. Don't deceive yourself. Be doers of the word. So our measure of impact, our measure of success is not the years that we have. It's not the heights that we achieve. It's the depth. It's the foundation on which our life is built. Because length and height is about us. Your length, that's about you. Your height, your achievements, your, your wealth, your material, that's about you. But what Jesus calls us to be is a people that are invested in loving God and loving others. Put those words into action. And all of a sudden, our house becomes so much better built. The foundation becomes so much, or the, or the structure becomes so much stronger because of the foundation on which it rests. How's, how's your foundation? How's the foundation? If you do an honest inventory, what's the measuring stick? What's, what's, and you know what? Success isn't the best word for us. I love Mother Teresa's quote. She says, God has not called me to be successful. God has called me to be faithful. Faithful is our word. God calls us to be faithful. How is the measure of faithfulness in your life? What's the barometer in which you use? There was a, a reporter. She was actually out of Orlando. I, I don't have her name, but she had, she'd gone and um, had, had moved up to you know, major, major... Um, network news and, and as part of her career had, had been able to interview politicians and businessmen and women and athletes and all the, the who's who, if you will. And they asked her, who, who is the most impressive? Who are the most memorable? And, and the, the question was meant to think, you know, it'll be somebody who we all know. 
She said, it's, it's not who you think. The most memorable, the most impactful people I've ever interviewed are the, the hardware store owner at the crossroads of a rural community most people have never heard of. It's the teacher that's worked for 21 years at an inner city school. She said, because they don't measure their success. They don't measure their lives in length or height. She, she said, they are people that measure in depth. And in a world that is so shallow, they are a fresh or a breath of fresh air. How do you measure? Jesus calls out the rich fool because his measure of success is what he could get. Jesus says, the wise man, the wise woman, builds on the rock of me, which is not defined by what you get, but what you give. Dad preached a few weeks ago, and he said, be light givers. Light givers. That's the measure of success for us. What's the light that we give that reflects the light of Christ. My challenge for you is to ask yourself, based on what Christ tells us, based on the invitation that we're given, is your life built to last? Friends, let's pray. Lord, challenge us. Convict us. Encourage us. By your Holy Spirit, we've all come in different places today. But help us to, to find a life rooted on the rock of Christ that is rooted on our value and our worth as who you define us to be, not the world, not the external measurements, that we would live lives of impact, that we would live lives that make a difference, that we would be faithful and wise in all that we do. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen.